0: so my first instruction in how to teach the Bible came from my dad. Uh, he was an electrician for General Motors. Uh, he was not a pastor. He had never had any Bible training of any kind. But he exposed me to Howard Hendricks' Seven Laws of, effective, of an Effective Teacher. Um, he taught me how to do object lessons. Uh, he would graciously critique me and help me to try to get better. Uh, and so it's interesting here... Uh, my dad passed away two years ago or so. Um, you guys get still some of the fruit of my dad's investment. And so I'm thankful for good fathers and thankful um, for, for men. And one of the things that uh, my dad absolutely taught me is that um, calling in life, that being a pastor doesn't make you any better than anyone else. Being a missionary, doesn't, God has a different calling gift for different people. Um, it's a role you fill that you serve, not an identity of who you are. Um, and so I'm, I'm thankful for um, a man that never, I don't think, ever took a college class and was a master electrician, uh, and he, in many ways, taught me more how to teach the Bible than anybody else, including in seminary. So I'm thankful for men who love God. That's, that's what matters. And so Romans chapter 12, it's a little bit different this, this summer and um, a little bit different series for us as we're working through these things. I am trusting Christ that it's blessing you and being an encouragement to you. Um, certainly not the norm. Uh, it is interesting if you think about how Jesus taught, uh, it's a lot less like what we, are, what we experience uh, on a given Sunday morning where one guy stands up and uh, he just lectures the whole time, because you have things like John 15, Peter read this morning throughout our worship time, uh, as Christ is talking about the, the vine and the branches. Uh, and we'll actually use that text here the very last week of the series. But Jesus is actually teaching that in an object lesson. He's teaching that and preaching that as he's walking through the Garden of Gethsemane, which was an olive grove, and it was at the pruning season while he is instructing this. We certainly have uh, moments, whether it's the loaves and the fishes or the Mount of Transfiguration, where it was much more uh, interactive in the sense that Christ is using object lessons, that he's instructing that way. Uh, And so I think it can be helpful and beneficial. To do that, And so, actually, even this morning is one of those where I'm going to ask some questions, we're going to interact a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm excited that you're able to be here this morning, even while others are away, that I, I think that today in particular will be a blessing to you. Just reminding you that we're really studying union with Christ. What does it mean, that deep doctrine that we have, the union with Christ, that's such, such big words. And um, what does it mean, though, that our identity is in Christ? What does it mean... That Christ is in us and we are in him. And so uh, we are now exactly at the halfway point. We've done four lessons so far. We've got four to go. And I just want to interact maybe a little bit this morning, ask some questions. Um, and, and so feel free to respond and... Um, I'll, I'll try to help us know when they are rhetorical questions, part of preaching, and when they are actually. Oh, you know, I can answer now. Uh, but let me just ask you: Is there are there any truths that maybe you didn't know before we started this series um, that you've been like, "Wow, I, you know, I never knew that before, Steve," or I, maybe I never heard it that way before, um, or a truth that you've been reminded of that's been particularly encouraging to you, where you said, "Oh, that that has been a blessing to me as I've." heard that or been refreshed in that. So any truths that you've heard so far in this series that seem even new to you um, or truths that have been a real blessing that were a reminder to you just as we've been going along so far over the last few weeks? Tyler. I need other people Christ is coming out of them and so I get to see God through others. Oh. You the man... Give that man a chocolate bar. It's not just a good father for Father's Day. He's, that's a great that's a way to make the pastor feel good. Thank you so much. Because <laughs> it's all about me, right? No, um, no Yes, and we're actually going to even unpack that even more this morning, I think, in a way that's going to be even more encouraging. It's one of the things that I love most about the doctrine of union Christ. So that's a huge blessing. Somebody else, a truth that either you've learned or something you've been reminded of that's been a real blessing to you or refreshing to you. Some of you are looking over past notes. I see Let me find something. To bail Steve out because I love him, right? Um, anybody else? I'm going to look at my family, help your father and your No, I'm just kidding. No pressure. Um, yeah, I think. Uh, Marsha? Well, I've always thought that people see the way we act, the way we talk, the way we speak. I thing is, just been more for a plan. Yeah. Okay, so Marsha was sharing, uh, we, we've got folks in our congregation that have hearing aids, so I might repeat back what folks say just so everyone can hear us. But, but Marsha was saying she's always thought um, that when, when people see us speak or act or function a way, that it really should be that they're seeing Jesus. But she said over the last few weeks, that's just helped her in a more profound or deep uh, way or to made it even feel more real, that that is what is going on because we are in Christ and Christ is in us. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah. Great, this is helpful. Anyone else? Yeah, Brenda. Yeah, that is so helpful. Yeah. Um, God never intended us for us to do lone wolf Christianity. And, and I love you um, maybe holding the tension because in Hebrews, that really, it really is a command, right? Do not forsake the assembly of yourselves. Again. I mean, that's a command, but it's a blessed command. Right. It is it is a kind command. It, it it's the kind of command you give to your children, don't run into the street, kind of command, right? Um, don't play with 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 this rabid dog, right? It's a kind command because we are in community so that we might see and experience Christ in seasons of suffering and difficulty. Right? And and even if your suffering is different, right? So if your suffering is uh, infection, husband rehab, mom wrestling with early signs of, of dementia and Alzheimer's, like that's a unique set of suffering. And it could be radically different than somebody else going through economic distress or some other kind of loneliness or rejection or financial hardship. But there is a commonality in running to Jesus. And community is a blessing of that. So it is a kind command. It's a gift Kind of Yeah, that's super, super helpful. Um, let me ask you this. Have you seen an increase in your own heart um, of an appreciation? You know, when you when, when someone would now say union with Christ, have you discovered, and you just do the best raise of hands, um, an increase in your own personal appreciation for the depth and the importance of that doctrine? Have you seen an increase in that? Yeah, it's, it's wonderful, isn't it? So um, Romans chapter 12, and we're kind of using this as a, maybe an outline text uh, for us to think through union with Christ. It's probably, it is the chapter uh, that most closely connects the doctrine of union with Christ and how we do life with one another. And so it's helpful for us that way, and it's uh, as close as we can get to the way I normally preach, which is just verse by verse going through books of the Bible. But one of the biggest fruits that I've experienced as I've done the study in preparation for this is the connection of union with Christ with my daily life. Uh, I was talking to my sister-in-law just yesterday, uh, or the day before, and uh, she's a godly lady, loves the Lord, and I was talking about union with Christ, and I said one of the things I'm burdened for is there's actually very few resources out there that are accessible to lay people, And, and I want to be clear with what I mean by that. What I don't mean by that is that lay people are not theologians. I think that every Christian is a theologian but I don't think that you have the time or energy to go pick up three books this thick on union with Christ that are just filled with Hebrew and Greek, and it's like, let me wade through this. You really want to know, this is what the Bible says, and what do I do with my daily life? And There's actually very few resources out there, to be honest with you, and it's one of the burdens I have, um, even for our church, that we would understand this. and Because I'm the kind of guy, I'm like, yeah, I love to read thick books, But I I get bored. I'm like, okay, just get to the point, right? Like, what do I do with this on Tuesday? Can you help me out a little bit? Um, That's the way I'm wired. I want it to matter practically. And so one of my burdens with this series is that, and I think this morning's lesson is one of the easiest to help us build some of those bridges and those connections. We want to live in the awareness, the reality that Christ is in us coming out of us. We need to see Jesus. And and so let me start this way. Spiritual gifts, and we've done a lot of teaching on spiritual gifts uh, in this church over the last few years, so this isn't going to be a super in-depth this morning on spiritual gifts, but rather think of spiritual gifts and how it connects to union with Christ. That's where we're going to be going with it. But several years ago, when my wife was expecting our first, um, this is not her. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Let's be very clear. That would be a problem. And I don't know if you can see it, but this is actually photoshopped. And you can see a little foot up there. Uh, that's not real. <laughs> um, um, but any of you ladies have been uh, pregnant and the husbands, you know that there are times that you can see an elbow go across uh, the belly. You know, so for my wife, she knew she was pregnant. She could tell she was pregnant. She had the feelings of being pregnant. You know, you go for ultrasounds, you hear the heartbeat, these kinds of things. But particularly with our first, with Ian, um, you know, she's losing sleep, she, she feels an elbow in her ribs, the baby's moving and kicking, uh, but none of that is is very real, honestly, to the dad uh, for a long time. I mean, you know it, but it, it doesn't seem or feel real to you until there was that moment that, that I remember. She was like, oh, I can feel the baby moving. Here, put your hand here. And I mean, that first time you feel this, like, elbow grow across, it's like, uh-oh, Folks, this is real. Um, I'm on mission now. I'm the dad. Like I now understand the reality of what is about to take place in a few months. Can I just say that I'm convinced that as believers even, we need something to make our union with Christ real to us. We need more something more than just um, the theological reality of it, the truth of it. For me to look at you and to say your identity, the the very core of your sense of self, who you are, if you're saved, is that Christ is in you and you are in Christ. I could say that all day long and that's important and it's powerful and we should meditate on that truth. But I'm going to argue this morning that we need more than just being told that. It's Like the dad being told by his wife, I'm expecting... It is, there's this moment of hearing the heartbeat in an ultrasound, maybe even seeing the image, but the first time you feel that baby move in your wife's tummy is just a profound moment of reality. It's a wake-up call. This is true. Spiritual gifts are one of God's kind ways of helping you and I visually and viscerally experience union with Christ. Jesus in someone coming out of them. And so they're, they're super important that way. But I don't just think that we as believers need it. I think we live in a world that needs to see Christ. Um, one of the primary arguments that I've, or conversations I've ever had with an atheist or agnostic, and um, I've had a number of them over the years, um, it's not uncommon for someone that's atheistic or agnostic to come to a point, they would say something along the lines of, well, if I could have just seen Jesus, if I would see the resurrected Jesus, or if I could hear Jesus, they want some kind of interaction with Jesus, and they'll say, then I would believe. Now, I'm just going to be very clear with you, I actually don't buy that argument. And I don't buy that argument because of the parable Jesus tells of the rich man and Lazarus, which Lazarus actually means beggar, so there's some... Controversy is this real story, um, parable. I'm not going to get into the weeds of that this morning. I'm, I'm happy to have this conversation with you later. But um, Jesus tells the story of the rich man uh, goes, dies, and goes to hell, uh, to Sheol, this two-compartment hell. Uh, and then the Lazarus, or the poor man, is on, A- is on Abraham's side, and he's safe. And the rich man says, Will you touch your, your finger in the water and touch my tongue because I'm, I'm burning, I'm hot and miserable? And then he makes the statement, would you go back and tell my brothers? In other words, would you rise from the dead and tell my brothers? And Jesus says, though one would rise from the dead, yet they will not believe. And he's obviously referencing himself. I'm telling you that because, first of all, and most importantly... Jesus is saying just because a person would see the resurrected Christ is not going to suddenly convince them. So when you encounter an atheist or agnostic and says, who says something like that, uh, I'm not saying you need to debate or argue them in that moment, but it's important for you theologically to understand that that's just not true. Jesus and God has not somehow um, been unkind to them by not appearing to them. They would not suddenly believe. And part of the testimony of that is Jesus' statement, part of the testimony of that is Jesus then walking resurrected, and they still don't believe. I tell you that also because if you go into a Christian bookstore or you get Christian book distributors and you see this, I died, let me tell you what I experienced. That's a lie. Don't waste your money. That's not the way this works. But I actually am convinced that this world needs to see Christ. It's just I believe that he is designed to show Jesus through us. The radical transformation that happens when someone is dead in their sin and now they're alive in Jesus. And the gradual process of change that happens as God makes them more and more like Christ is stunning to behold. Who are you? Um, I, I'll never forget going back into the school that I, that I left in eighth grade um, to ask teachers to forgive me for the way I behaved. And my science teacher backing up, he thought I had come back to kill him. Um, he wasn't paranoid. I had threatened him that I was going to kill him. And for him to back up and for me to say, No, I've come, Mr. Black was his name, I've come to ask your forgiveness. And he looked, What has happened to you? It's those kinds of moments in our lives where suddenly you know what am i supposed to say oh i've like cleaned up my life and gotten right or i'm on the right track or i'm so smart that I'm, now i've got ambition like there's one answer in those kinds of moments jesus it's not me it's G, right so i'm convinced this world actually needs to see christ we need something to make christ real to the world that is around us And so this morning, we get to look at one of God's answers to these two needs, something to make union with Christ real to us as believers, and something to make Christ real to the world around us, and it is spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are active demonstrations of the believer's union with Christ. And so if you're in Romans chapter 12, I'm going to begin in verse 1 just so we can read um, and, and see the flow of thought for Paul. Uh, it's fascinating. I'll make a few comments as we go along, but primarily we'll spend our time focusing on verses 3 through 8 this morning, and then we'll go to Corinthians as well later in the, in the sermon. Paul writes this, Romans chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world or pressed into The mold of this will be be transformed, first and foremost, by the renewal of your mind. Now, this is important. He is writing to people that are already saved by the mercies of God, brothers, he calls them. They're already saved people, and so, therefore, the process of you and I becoming different does begin, first spiritually in life, but then the next step in the process is a change in the way we think about things. Fish, what's the water like? It doesn't know, (laughs) because that's all it knows. Believer, what's the world like? I don't know because we're swimming in it all the time. We need something outside to inform us. And what is that outside information? It it says this, be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we're now in this journey, in this process of the slow transformation of the way we think that is reflective of the new life we already have. We, we, we write, we're running together here, right? So, this is sanctification that's happening. The very next thing he says then about the way we're going to play this out For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Uh oh. Biggest hurdle of the transformed mind is my own pride. <laughs> but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And if you're thinking of Paul and Paul's writing, we know this is the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but, okay, how do I help them be humble? <laughs> what, what can I tell them first, some first steps, some first infant first steps for the believer to live in humility with his transformed mind? I know, spiritual gifts. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function, so we, the many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, you could summarize that very quickly. Past sermons in the series so far, we need each other. Brenda put it much more eloquently that, than that. In my sufferings, I need community. You can't do this alone. Um, it would be as, it's as strange in Paul's thinking that there would be someone who says I'm a Christian but I'm just doing life on my own without community as if you were di- driving down the road today and you saw a thumb hopping down Kennerly Road. This is weird. How can I really understand this? Verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Um, We'll stop there. The way that I can help us understand this, then, Paul says, is spiritual gifts. The way that we're going to work out our union with Christ, that Christ is in me and I in him, and that this is my identity. My identity is not as a dad. It's not as a pastor. It's not as a man. These are all just parts, but my identity, who I am is Christ in me and me in Christ because I'm a believer and so let me just give us an overview of spiritual gifts this morning. Uh, as I said, we've, we've done a lot of teaching over the years. I know not all of us were able to be here for all those series, um, but I preached through Romans and spent a lot of time there. I preached through Corinthians, spent a lot of time there. We had a Sunday school series on it. And so over the last few years, there's been lots of instruction on it. Uh, so I can't go as in-depth this morning, but I do want to give us some basic truths just to remind us today. So we're all on the same page. And so I've just kind of encapsulated them. And I'll, and I'll work through them here for a few minutes this morning. First of all, there's three texts in the New Testament deal with spiritual gifts, and there's a variety of lists that are given. There is some overlap on these lists, but there's not a totality of overlap. In other words, they all list some of the same gifts, but they also all list different gifts. Um, you could also put in Ephesians 4 here with that. I, I didn't include it because while there are some gifts in Ephesians 4... Some of them are just offices that he gives. And so that's where he says, I've given evangel- apostles, um, prophets, evangelists, teachers uh, to help build up the body by training the body to do the work of the ministry. That's, that's Steve's translation. Um, but Romans 12 that we just read, 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Peter are your core spiritual gifts lists. Uh, that enumerate them. So if you want to read through, think through those, study through those, that can be helpful. If you are more inclined this way, uh, those sermons are still online. They can be accessed through our podcast or through our our website as well. I think they're even grouped. I think there's even one that's spiritual gifts uh, that way. Not all the original spiritual gifts are in operation today. There are some sign gifts like tongues and prophecy that have ceased to operate Uh, that is not a central doctrine of our church there are folks in our church that would disagree with that Uh, we don't mandate that everybody has to be on the same page with that Um, as as your pastors we believe they've ceased Uh, these were primarily revelatory gifts revelation gifts these are gifts where god is still revealing new information in the new testament as the bible is being written and so sometime after that they passed off the scene because they passed out of need uh Tongues is the Holy Spirit speaking through someone in a foreign language, and a foreign tongue. Uh, there's interpretation of tongues then, so other people that don't have, know that language can interpret it. Uh, prophecy is foretelling the future as well as boldly proclaiming truth. It's both of those. Uh, there was only one test in the Bible for a prophecy, and that was did they predict something and it come true. We don't have people operating that way today. People are not predicting the future and it coming true as a spiritual gift. Um, gifts of healing. One person laying hands on another person, then being physically healed. We have other processes. That's not to say that God does not miraculously heal people, but he says in James to call for the elders of the church, call for the leaders of the church. They they pray for a person and if it's sin, there should be a confessional moment that they may be healed spiritually, but they may also be healed physically. Uh, just this morning, I prayed for people that are physically ill. I absolutely believe that God heals people today. He simply is not doing it through one person with the gift of healing. So, Um, And I I go way more in-depth in this in the series. But there's just some of those gifts that we don't believe are in operation today. Every believer has at least one spiritual gift given by God. Uh, We can actually see that here in Romans. We could go to 1 Corinthians as well. He's he's making the point that your body has many members. It's got two eyeballs, two ears, a nose, and hands, and all these things. In 1 Corinthians, he even goes internal to organs. He talks about the unseen parts. Uh, Then he even talks about what would be considered shameful parts or clothed parts. And we all have different roles to play. And his whole point is everybody has a role to play. He's indicating with that that every believer has a spiritual gift. They have at least one spiritual gift. Um, it was fascinating. I gave you the pre-session uh, quiz. That's four weeks ago now, or five, six weeks ago for, for some of you. And one of the, there was three questions on there related to spiritual gifts. This is why, because it's tied in with union with Christ. Uh, one of the questions was, do you believe it's important that every believer know what their spiritual gifts are? Um, running away, uh, um, largely, the church uh, scored very high. Yes, I believe they need to. There were two other than practical questions. One, do you know what your spiritual gift is? And a third one, do you, are you currently using your spiritual gift in the life of the church? And those actually both scored much lower. And so what that tells me is the, the series and the sermon series we've done over the years have helped to convince you of their importance. They maybe haven't served you as well as you need to be in knowing what yours is and how you can use it. And so that's actually really exciting because I'm like, oh, we need to do some work here. That's good. Uh, that doesn't bother me. Uh, you know, if you took that pre-quiz and said, I'm going to answer all sixes, because that's going to help Steve out. Thank you for sinking my project. <laughs> um, no, don't do that. Like, you need, we all need to learn and to grow together. And so it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, they're important. You should know what yours is. And I don't mean that in any condemnatory way. Like, I don't say that for you to feel guilty. Well, Steve, I don't know. And, you know, slink a little lower in your seat. No, don't don't feel that way. That means that we need to be on this journey helping you together. But every believer has at least one spiritual gift given by God. No believer has all the spiritual gifts. We can see that again from the truths here in Romans that we need each other. Nobody's got a lockdown on all of them. Some folks may have more than one spiritual gift. Paul certainly did. Others may uh, you may be gifted as an administrator and mercy, and, or giving uh, and leading. Uh, you, you can have more than one gift. Um, I didn't even include it on the, on the handout, which I'll make sure all of you have one uh, this morning. If you got here maybe a little bit later, you get one. Um, but I only listed seven on the back. I didn't include hospitality. You could be, uh, have the gift of hospitality and the gift of evangelism. Right? You can have more than one gift. But everybody has at least one, and nobody has all of them. What does it say to us, the fact that nobody has all of them? It says we need each other. And the church needs everyone operating and functioning and working together. We have need. Spiritual gifts play a vital role in the life of the church. And for this one, I I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 4, if you will. Journey there for a moment. Because while some of these are offices, they do help us to understand the role and the function of the gifts in the body of Christ. I'm actually going to go back to verse 9 in Ephesians chapter 4 for us to understand this. Verse 9, he says, Paul says this, And saying... Actually, let's go back to verse 8. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And so, resurrection of Christ, he gives gifts. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And so, he's basically telling us, you know, all of history, uh, God's redemptive history plan Uh, We have the garden, we have creation, we have all the way up until the day of Jesus, while there were pre-incarnate moments of Christ showing up, uh, he shows up as the pre-incarnate Christ and communicates with Abraham. Um, We see him with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar says, I see one walking as though he's the son of God. He is the pre-incarnate Christ. There came this moment in time and in history, roughly 2,000 years ago, when Jesus actually was here. 33 years, roughly, he's walking the earth truly man, truly God, fully man, fully God. He, he is God-encompassed in humanity, Jesus Christ. But then there comes this moment, and so everyone can see him, and you can interact with him. Uh, the Apostle John talks about being able to touch him and to feel him. You could give him a hug. You can experience his comforting touch. He, at one moment in the, in the life of Jesus, I love this story, uh, there's a man, and he's blind, and Jesus wants to heal him. And uh, he's in Jerusalem, and he doesn't. it's not the time yet to make everybody so mad that they want to kill him. And so the Bible says that Jesus led him out of the city to the outskirts, kind of to a faraway, alone place where he could have one-on-one interaction with him and heal him. Let me ask you this. How do you lead a blind person? I only know one way. You take him by the hand. And you lead them. Can I just tell you so much of my life feels like that moment? Stumbling, blind, and terrified, and I just need Jesus to take me by the hand and lead me? Amen. Like, there's just a kindness to this. And then he heals the man. And so. Paul's telling us here in Ephesians, there's this wonderful moment when Jesus is literally physically walking and talking amongst us, but then there comes this moment. He ascends. He resurrects. He's gone from us. And what does he do when he ascends? He gives gifts. And he gave. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. This is Like it, it's really hard because I want to look at you, and I just want to be like, in my flesh, I just want to be super apologetic that this is what you get. But just to be honest with you, because what you need is Jesus. Like I don't, I don't feel like you get like second best. I feel like it's way down the line, right? And those are my own insecurities and fears, right? But, but it's also just the sense, I need Jesus with you. And it would be tempting for me to look at it and say, but, but this is what we get? You ascend and this is what we get? I mean, think of just the disciples. I mean, these are great guys, right? But, but Jesus ascends and we get Peter who always sticks his foot in his mouth? Thanks, Jesus. <laughs> right? Um, we get Thomas, who really struggles with his own doubts and fears. We get Matthew, who is a sellout to the Romans and a tax collector. This is what, this is what we get, Jesus. And he says, yeah, but he, he's given, but they're gifts. Have you ever been given a gift and you it wasn't a good gift? You know what I'm talking about? God bless my grandmother, but like... Um, the, they weren't rhinestones. What are, the, like little shiny things? Like sequins, yeah. The white tailed deer, deer with sequin eyeball sweater, not a good gift. <laughs> pink, I kid you not, pink boxers when I turned 13, not a good gift. That's not, that's no bueno, folks. Like, right? Like, I feel like Jesus is giving us, can we agree with this? Jesus never gives us bad gifts. Can we just own that? So if I'm dismissive of the gift, that has a lot more to say about me than it has anything to say about Jesus. I'm ascending, here's a gift. And so he says, pastors, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, why to equip or to teach or to train, to put tools in the toolbox of the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ? Building up, you've got to tear a muscle down before you can build it back up. You've you got to rehab it. You've got to work it. You've got you to gotta, you gotta give it the right protein and the right workout. You've got to give it the right rest time. you give, to give it the right nutrients. To equip the saints for building up the body of Christ, and, and you're thinking, and the temptation would be, oh, he means numerically. No, he quantifies it until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So to bring lost people in so that they might be saved and to help save people become more like Jesus. That's all of our mission. Why? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, and this is what we're now all supposed to do, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is just a glorious demonstration that says it, again, so much more eloquently than I could, but to put it in Twitter feed size. Jesus gave spiritual gifts because this lost and dying world needs to see him. See him. And so the way he's done that is in and through you. Working together. Otherwise, all they're going to see is his eyeball or his ear or his big toe rather than Jesus in his fullness. Spiritual gifts are intended to do that. And so we can, we can cruise here. Why then gifts? Well, I've given you a great summation passage. The spiritual gifts are these living demonstrations of the presence and the power of God coming out of a person. When someone then is using their spiritual gift correctly, rightly, and you can misuse your spiritual gift, that's why he says if you're going to do it, then do it by faith, do it with generosity, do it in this way. You can do it in a spirit-filled way. You can try to do it in a non-spirit-filled way, right? You can be fleshly trying to use your spiritual gift, which is a whole nother lesson in sermon. Again, got to go back to that podcast then. But they are living demonstrations. What is the real purpose? We can boil it down twofold. Number one, to glorify God. We need to remember... Um, that God wants us to use our gifts in a way that makes him big, not us big. We can see it most clearly the way he confronts the Corinthians about their abuse of the gift of tongues. Uh, They're using the gift of tongues in a way because it made them look really cool. I mean, it would be pretty amazing. My brother and sister-in-law have a young lady staying with them for this month. She's from Spain, speaks very little English. How amazing would it be if one of the members of our family had a spiritual gift of tongues, walked in, and just started rattling off Spanish they didn't study it they haven't learned it it's just it's a gift coming out of them that's that's cool right and and so you can imagine in Paul's day in the church of Corinth which was all about a me movement look at me um, <laughs> it's interesting Corinthians starts with the whole concept of your identity because they have a warped sense of it I'm now my gift they got people just jumping up in the middle of the service rattling off in foreign languages nobody understands what's going on but Um, Hey, this person can speak Russian, and this person can speak Spanish. This one's got French over here. This one, whatever, they speak in Iceland, right? Like We got it all, and nobody understands what's going on, but it's really cool because it makes you look cool. And Paul says, no, that's not what the gifts are for. They're intended first and foremost to glorify God. Psalm 19.1, I love it. It says this, the heavens declare the glory of God. God has written his glory in creation. What does that tell us? Open your eyes to see his glory. I want you to see my glory, is what he's saying. I want you to experience the beauty, the manifest richness and depth of my holiness. That's what the glory of God is. It is putting on public display the majestic beauty of God. Well, has that ceased? No. Simeon, when uh, Mary and Joseph bring the baby Jesus to name him, uh, for him to be circumcised and be named in the temple, Simeon has been waiting for the hope of Israel. Uh, God illuminates his mind that this is the Messiah. He takes this baby, this old uh, old man who's decrepit, and, he, and he's frail and he's fragile, and he takes this baby in his arms, and this is what he says, I've seen God, now I can die. I'm satisfied, now I can die. I just want to see him. And God says, I've written my glory in the skies. And this is what I want you to know. He has written his glory to put Jesus on display through you and your spiritual gift. People need to see Jesus. They need to see him in you, coming out of you. This is profound. This is profound because I feel like, not to knock redheads, but... I feel like the ugly red-headed stepchild is the phrase used to always be. I feel like the orphan that made it into the last seat on the bus to leave the orphanage and be adopted. I feel like I'm not worthy. I feel like I'm not deserving. I feel like I have no value, no worth, no place. And Jesus said, no, I've chosen you. I've saved you. I've made you my own. I give you a spiritual gift because I want people to see Jesus in you. That's profoundly life-giving to me. That's hopeful to me. I want people to see my glory, and so spiritual gifts are to glorify God. They're to make him, even misspellings, glorify God. Um, There we go. Some of you caught that. Some of you didn't. Um, I'll give you an illustration in John chapter 4. John chapter 4, Jesus has this woman. Uh, He goes up to Jacob's well outside of Sychar. Um, He's traveling through the land. And he tells his disciples, go into the city and buy some food. Jesus got a plan because this lady comes out in the middle of the day. Women didn't come out in the middle of the day to get water. She comes out in the middle of the day to get water, and Jesus starts engaging with her. He shows mercy to this broken shell of a woman. He just shows kindness and mercy to her need. We see Jesus begin to teach her effectively the truth about who God is and what true worshipers are like. God is seeking those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. He begins to exhort her by calling her away from your sin. Go get your husband. I'm not, I'm not married. You're right. You've been married four times. You're living with a man. So he's teaching her, he's exhorting her, he's showing mercy to her. He he has administrated his disciples by sending them to the city. He begins to lead because as this woman gets saved, he gives her a mission to accomplish and a means to do it. Go into the city and tell them that you've met the Messiah. We see Jesus use all these spiritual gifts in this moment to put God on display. When we use our spiritual gifts, we make Jesus visible. We put God's glory on display. But then it's also to edify other people. I just walked you through this passage in Ephesians chapter 4. But spiritual gifts are primarily not given for our personal benefit, though there are benefits personally for sure. To To have the gift of teaching is a joy and delight to spend hours in the word for you to generously and kindly make it possible for me to study as a living But what good is it if all I do is study and I never tell somebody else the truths that I've learned? What if it's just like, oh, this is just so cool for me, and I move on about my day? It's pointless. What if the person who's merciful it's just internal empathy that they experience and they never are exuding mercy what if the person who's a gifted administrator just knows just intuitively and it 's not intuition it's the power of the spirit to know hey man that's the best way to structure this but they never get invested involved in helping structure things what if the person who's driven to serve but they stop serving because they feel burned out or it's just too much or they don 't know how and they just get tired of doing it and they just quit serving like They could bless themselves, but God never intended spiritual gifts just for us. He intended them for others. That leads us then to this question. How specifically is putting God's glory on display by using spiritual gifts, how does it actually edify people? How does it really grow people? And for that, we want to connect them even more clearly. I want to draw even tighter lines. I've been building a theological and theoretical bridge for us i wanted to see it even more specifically i think first of all we put god on display by using spiritual gifts when we love like jesus it's amazing god says the gospel itself can be boiled down to these questions of love do you love god and do you love your neighbor By this shall all men know you, are my disciples, by the love you have for one another. You know, I'm convinced that we actually have a very loving church. Uh, One of the conversations we've been having as a leadership team is, how do we let our community know the wonderful things God is doing here and he has here? One of the things we agree as a leadership team is a very loving church. But do they know it and see it? If they don't, then what we're robbing from them is them being able to see Jesus in us coming out of us. It's a critical component. How do we do love of one another so that people know that we follow Jesus? By this shall all men know you're my disciples. By the love you have one for another. And that's not to say we don't love the lost. Obviously. But to understand if God has so blessed us in a way that we feel like family, if there's a blessing to the size of a church, because there can be an intimacy and depth of relationship where there's just genuine love built and affection, how do we let others know that? Because when we love others this way, we actually put Christ on display. What does he say in 1 John chapter 4? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. He's talking about a divine love here. He's not talking about the natural affection most people feel. Uh, they like this puppy. Or they, they have a child or a relationship. My boyfriend, my girlfriend, my, my husband, my wife, what have you, my parent. But natural affections and affinity they have for them. My neighbor, I like my neighbor. But he's talking about a divine love, a God-placed love. How do we know that? Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. This is a call to love like God loves. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, or visible. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It means he took our place and dies for our sins so that we might be saved. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, with all this that I've said so far, listen to the impact, the power of these next words. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected. That's the word mature, made full. Get this, made visible. Jesus has a resurrected. He wants the world to see Jesus, though, doesn't he? How? He sees him. The world sees him through our love. It puts Jesus on display in very unique ways. When we realize that spiritual gifts are God's empowerment in our lives, when we remember Paul links them to our union with Christ, when we remember that they operate primarily in the body of Christ, we realize that the loving use of our spiritual gifts puts God on display. time for this part this morning, but can I just ask you when and how have you seen Jesus on display from other Christians? Have you experienced and tasted of Christ coming out of them? Or maybe I can ask it this way, when have there been seasons of life where your heart has craved that? I just need to see Jesus times of fear, in times of confusion, in times of questioning, in times of need, in times of aloneness? You know what his answer is? This is shocking. Shocking in our culture. Here's his answer. Be connected to a community of believers. That's his answer. It's not all the answer, but that's part of the answer. And so we're going to finish this morning with a community application. Never done this on a Sunday morning, but many of you have experienced this other times. Um, you can stay where you're at, but it's going to be most helpful if you work with some people around you. Ian, can you make sure everybody has one of those sheets? Those of you who don't know, this is my very tall, very good-looking son. But I'm now embarrassing him. Oh, see, there's a guy right back there. who did not get one. So that would be great. This is community application. Rarely have I ended a sermon this way. Um, Laura up here, over there needs one. Marsha down here needs one. Luke, oh, no, oh, oh, right here. Are you visiting with Spencer and Emily? Oh, we know how to pray for you. I'm just kidding. It's great to have you this morning. <laughs> Good. Tyler's getting pins, aren't you? That's spiritual gift of serving right in action, right in front of you. It's amazing. So this is a small group project. So if you need a pen, you've got to put that hand up there as well. <coughs> Helpful, great, wonderful. This is good. So here's your community project. We're going we're gonna to finish it, and I, and I hope this will make it even more real to you. So on the back, on one side of your sheet, you see a table, and it has just seven of the current spiritual gifts. This is not exclusive. This is not universal. As I said already, I know for sure the gift of hospitality and evangelism are not on there. Um, and so I just, I had to condense it to seven. I'm going to give you a prompt, and I'm going to actually encourage you to engage with others around you. So I'm going to give you a few minutes. Um, I've, I've preached short enough. It's Father's Day. We don't even have a second service. That, so I uh, want to help you be able to go and, I don't know, grill steak or seafood or call your dad or whatever. Um, or think about how wonderful your heavenly father is. I, I, my dad's gone, and so I'll think that way. Um, but I wanna, we have enough time here. So I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a prompt. And a prompt is simply something for you to think through and then make the application. You're going to take three of the spiritual gifts that you think, man, that would be really helpful for this situation. You're going to read some of those definitions and say, but man, these are the three gifts. But you can only use three. Well, Steve, I actually believe they need to see all of Jesus, not just his eyeball and his thumb. and Just, you know, help a brother out, right? So you get three, right? And then you get to pick two that you really wish you could add in, and you're like, you hate that you had to leave those out. That's how you're going to work it. I'm going to give you a few minutes to do it. Let me read the prompt for you to think through then these spiritual gifts. It's early February. Madeline just called the church office and spoke to the secretary. She was sobbing. Almost uncontrollably, struggling to keep it together on the phone as she shared what was going on. Her lost husband, Herb, Herb, just came home drunk and angry. This isn't the first time that's happened. He was fired from his job, and so his response to that, his coping mechanism, was he went to the bar. He got hammered, blasted on the way home. He dinged the neighbor's car, and he took out their own mailbox. Madeline confronted him. She wasn't angry. She wasn't mean. She wasn't harsh, but she confronted her drunk husband. He flew flew into rage. He shoved her hard up against the wall, banged her head on the back of the wall, told her to get out. She took their two-year-old, the newborn, and she prepared to leave. On the way out the door, she grabbed her keys, but then he took them from her, took her house key off of it, handed her back the car keys, and told her, don't come back. She left with the children. She made it to the local Walmart before she realized she didn't have her purse. She doesn't have diapers for the baby. She doesn't even have warm enough clothes for any of them. She really hasn't been at the church long. She's just been visiting for a few months and even that has been somewhat sporadic. She doesn't know very many people. Most of the people she knows are just at the nursery when she hands her kids off. (laughs) She doesn't even know what she's asking but she simply had no one else to call. She has no family in town. She just Needs help. Can we agree she needs to see Jesus? And so what gifts, what are some of those gifts? I'm going to give you a few minutes to think through this. Three gifts that you say this, these are necessary. These are my top three. She needs these. Um, if you could look at my notes, there is no right answer that I have. Like this is not guess what's in Steve's head. But immediate need, what are three gifts you can discuss that with others around you. You can discuss it among yourselves. I'm going to give you a few minutes to think through that. Then we'll interact a little bit. You can also write down those two gifts that you think are also really needed, um, but you had to leave off the list. give you maybe another minute and a half. All right, all right, so you may not be totally done, but that's okay, just for sake of time. I think we at least do some interaction. Um, just what are some, of those, what are some of those three gifts? And so if you just you raise your hand and you say, hey, we you know, came up with these three. These are three that definitely we need, we need this on scene. Uh, Luke? Yeah, give me all three. Giving mercy, Great. Same they got over here. How many of you had those three, specifically giving, mercy, serving? Good. Anybody have any others? Aaron and Ian. Aaron. Exhortation. Good. Ian. Hospital. That was not on your list of seven. <laughs> That's what happens when the kid with a GPA of 4.5 gets in the room, right? So, um, but you're right. You're right. That would be one. But I left that off. Good. Yeah. Um, what are two that you left off? That, but you would like, man, they need these two. I hate that I had to leave those out. Jan? Teaching. Teaching. Why? Yeah, good, good. Absolutely. Somebody have a different one than teaching? Tyler? Why? Yeah, um, like she needs giving. She probably doesn't need only tons of diapers, no. right? But an administrator would be like, okay, we got diapers covered. Thank you so much. Can we get some food, right? But, But... Yeah, it, it's hard. What are some of the other, other ones that were left off? Yes, sir. Leadership. Leadership. Why? Direct, direct yeah, I mean, you've got to feed those kids. You've got to have a place for them. But you gotta, what's, what's step two? What's step three? What do I do next? It's, it's, how many of you experienced some level of frustration if it's like you had to leave this off? How I many of you were like, man, they, they need this. Why don't I, why don't I leave this out? What happens then, this one's rhetorical, what happens when somebody only experiences an amputated Jesus or disabled Jesus that way? What if even your church has those gifts, but the reason leadership or administration or teaching or exhortation doesn't come into play is because those people are refusing to use their gifts. Do you see the cost to this dear saint? It's massive, isn't it? It's not small. It leaves her hanging. Now, let's just be honest. The wonderful thing about spiritual gifts doesn't mean you don't, because, well, I don't have the gift of serving, so I don't serve. We all understand that's not the way it works, right? Like, I didn't be able wasn't able to unpack. I don't, well, I don't have the gift of generosity, Steve, so I'm not going to give to that need. Like, like, that's not the way, but the unique and spirit-empowered abilities in these areas is designed by God. So it doesn't mean that no one should then administrate, no one should then lead, or no one should then teach, but but there is a uniqueness to these gifts that God intended this way. On top of that. Do you begin to understand how, if you're the one in contact with her, maybe administrating these different needs, the unbelievable blessing of you seeing Jesus as people are showing up to drop off diapers and food and clothing and somebody that has nothing to give her but a hug and a listening ear for her just to cry to? Because she needs that too, doesn't she? You begin to see Jesus at work. And so then, one of the things you begin to learn with union with Christ is I am Christ to her, but I'm only part of Christ. We are Christ to her. There's a famous song out there right now that says, We are the body. That's really the truth it's getting at. Spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are active demonstration of the believer's union with Christ. How can we know and experience a union with Christ that is our true condition as believers? One way is through the use and experience of ministry with spiritual gifts. It's in those moments that we see Christ. We put Him on display to the lost and to other believers in the community of the church. Can I just say it this way? Let us live out our union with Christ in a way that others might see and know Jesus. Amen? Amen. Wonderful. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing a closing hymn, and we'll be dismissed. Father,